You know, I read Acts chapter 8. And you know what the message is, at least for Simon Magus? You know what it was? You can't buy the Holy Spirit. You can't buy salvation. You know why? It's not for sale. And this is such a strong point that Peter says to Simon, may your silver perish with you. You know why he's so strong? Because here's a truth of the gospel. Here's a New Testament principle that runs all throughout. Salvation is free. See, because it's the gift of God. The gospel is the gift of God. And by the way, there are no hidden price tags deep inside of it that might confuse you about the cost. It's free. Simon offered to buy the Holy Spirit and salvation. And Peter was furious. So let me tell you this, it's no small matter of what we're talking about today. The Apostle Peter was incredibly upset. In fact, some of the commentators I read said that when he tells Simon that may your money perish with you, that he was putting a curse on him. I mean, Peter is so strong that says, here's what you need to do, repent. But he says, if possible, I don't even know if you can come back from this kind of thinking. I mean, that's how strong the message is. You say, well, I understand the gospel's free, but why was Peter so mad? Let me tell you through an illustration. I don't know what your Christmas tradition is at your house, but for us, when I was growing up as a kid, my dad had rules. And the rules were that you went to bed at a certain time on Christmas Eve, and then you would stay in your room, and you couldn't come out until he came and got you. Now, that was torture, but I also inflicted that same torture on my children. So I used to stay up there, and I remember, you know, usually you're a kid, you sleep forever, not on Christmas morning. I remember 6 o'clock rolling over, and I go, 6 o'clock? My dad won't be here for years, (laughs) you know. So I'm sitting there and thinking of things to do, you know, and I'm trying not to make any noise, because one year I made noise, and I got in trouble on Christmas Day, which is wrong. Um, So I remember all that time waiting and waiting and waiting. Imagine at your house you were doing the same thing. And your kids were upstairs, and you finally get them, and they come down, and oh, wow, when we come downstairs for Christmas for the gifts, you run down there, you're looking for yours because it was a big taboo. You couldn't shake them, none of that cheating stuff. And so you finally get to figure out, oh, I think maybe I got what I really wanted. And so your kids are open. Imagine this. You're opening the presents, and your oldest child, who really wanted AirPods, the new ones, and there's this little gift like this, and they get it in their hands, and they're unwrapping it, and they open it up, and they go, hmm. And the parents go, hmm. I was expecting for you to go hot, whatever, jump up and down or whatever, and nothing. And so you say, hey, what's wrong? And your oldest daughter says, hey, I really wanted this, and I'm so glad you got it for me, but I'm a little discouraged. Why? She goes, how much is this going to cost me? And you go like, What? Parent, your parent goes, are you serious? How much is this going to cost me? Yeah, I know that this is expensive and I'm sure it can't be free. And you go, yes, it's free. And this is what you say to your daughter. It's always free because my gifts to you are because I love you. See, as a parent, you would be insulted. You would be hurt that your kids thought that the Christmas gifts would have to be paid by them. Paid for by them. You know why? Because every single one of us in this room know exactly what a gift is, don't we? We know a gift is. It's not for sale. It's something that's free. 
It's something that you get, not because someone is indebted to you, not because they're obligated to you, but because they love you. God says, see, the greatest gift is salvation. And I've given it to you and provided for you free. It's something you can't buy. You can't earn it. You can't merit it. You can't work for it. You can't be worthy of it. So that important truth is what we want to take a look at. And we're going to take the story in Acts 8 that has the phrase, the gift of God, and unpack it a little bit. And in doing so, we're going to ask two questions. Simple. Ready? Who is the gift free for? It's a free gift. Who is it free for and what is it free from? Since it's a free gift, who is it free for and what is it free from? Let's take them one at a time. The gift of God. Who is it free for? Now, in the stories that we've looked at that contain the phrase, the gift of God, the first two, one in John 4 last week and today in Acts 8, here's what they have in common. They are both stories that take place in Samaria, right? So in both of the stories is a Jewish person taking a Samaritan person and giving them the gospel. In the first case, it was Jesus and the woman at the well. And this time it's Philip and the people of Samaria and specifically Simon Magus. See, it's Jewish people sharing the good news of Jesus with Samaritan people. One is a Samaritan woman. The other one is Samaritan man. Now that shouldn't surprise us because we're all familiar, aren't we, with the beginning opening verses that give us the whole idea of the book of Acts? That they're going to be witnesses for Jesus and it's going to go from Jerusalem, say it with me, Judea, what? Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So where are we in the mission map that the Holy Spirit and Jesus have designed? Well, we're getting outside of Jerusalem and Judea and now the gift of God, Christmas, can I say, is spreading. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's a Samaritan thing as well. And this is vital. Right? Why? Because, as we talked a little bit about last week, Jews and Samaritans, to say the least, had a history. I mean, a bloody history. They fought each other. They tried to ruin each other's temple and destroy things. You see, Jews were big, big, big into racial purity. Samaritans were half Jewish. Now, if we were using Harry Potter, we would say that Jews called Samaritans muggles. Because they didn't have, they weren't purebred. They weren't pure blood. And let me tell you this. You don't think that's a big deal? In first century Judaism, it was the deal. It was the biggest deal. Andreas Kostenberger, who wrote a commentary on the book of John, said this. Jews would not so much as sit on something that a Samaritan had touched. So when Jesus asked the woman at the well last week, can I drink from the cup that you give? It would have blown her mind. Jews would never have touched, much less drank from something like that. That's the divide between Jews and Samaritans. But in Acts 8, something unbelievable happens. Philip, a Jew, comes from Jerusalem to Samaria and he gives the Samaritans the gospel. And guess what? They embrace him. They listen to him. They accept the gospel and their lives are being radically changed to the point. Look at chapter 8, verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Joy that a Jew brought. Joy that the gospel brought. It had never happened like that there at all before. Can I tell you, this is the power of the gift of God. 
It is not only life-changing individually, it is cultural-changing. It creates a unity that can overcome years, 200 to be exact, 200 years of animosity between Jew and Samaritan. And the hurt that had been built up and the mistrust can be vaporized in a moment. That's the power of the gift of God. That's the power of the gospel. It brings a unity that we long for in America. But we are powerless, seemingly, to accomplish it in our society. I was reading a sociologist recently, and he was talking about race, and he said this. In America, we know how to forcibly integrate in society. We know how to pass laws to guarantee fairness. But what we haven't been able to do is to make races and cultures embrace and love one another. And he's exactly right. And I'm here to tell you this morning that what politics cannot do, the gospel can. The gospel can. And here's why. Because the gospel and the gospel alone identifies the one common problem that every person and every race and this entire world, including everyone in this room this morning, shares in common. And that is this, that we are sinners and we need the only Savior there is, King Jesus. That's why Acts is laid out like it is. If you notice in Acts 8, 9, and 10... Three stories in a row. Ethiopian eunuch, who is a Gentile, outside of the farthest round uh, areas possible, ends of the earth. You got Saul, who is a Jew, in chapter 9. You got Cornelius, who is a Roman, in chapter 10. And see, the Bible's showing you conversion story after conversion story after conversion story. And here's why. Because here's what Christmas is. Here's what the gift of God is. It is taking people that were at odds and bringing together these people and giving them unity. But let me tell you this. Grace doesn't erase race. It just outweighs it. What do you mean, Pastor Walker? Let me tell you my vision for our church and has been for many years. See, I believe that the gospel, the gift of God, overcomes the differences not only between Jews and Samaritans in the first century, but also between blacks and whites and every other racial conflict in the 21st century because I still believe the power is available to us. That's why at Faith Baptist Church, we desire not to be multicolored, although we do. We, we, we desire that, but not that alone. Look around today, 20 different nationalities and ethnicities in our church. We are multicolored, but we want more than that because the gospel wants more than that. We also desire to be multicultural. That means that we have not only different colors of people, we have different cultures, different backgrounds, Different ways that people think and do things. And see, let me tell you this. Being in Christ, having the gift of God outweighs all of our cultural preferences. So if you remain around Faith Baptist Church long enough, I can tell you this. And you attend our services, there might be times in our services that you get a little uncomfortable. You know why? Because there will be songs and music that we use and sing. There will be certain ways of worship. And they'll be a little outside of your cultural comfortability. 
But see, the gospel does this. It changes our heart in such a way that we leave behind past grievances. We don't live for and choose to mistrust and be suspicious of people. But rather, we put aside our cultural preferences and we embrace one another and love one another despite all the differences the world says should keep us apart. That's the power of the gift of God. See, it's free. Who is it free for? It's free for everyone. And that means everyone in here this morning, no matter what the color of your skin, no matter your social status, no matter if you're male or female, it doesn't matter what your status is, who you are, what everybody thinks. See, the gospel is for everyone. Absolutely everyone. And the reason why that the Samaritans got saved but didn't get the Holy Spirit till later when Peter and John came down. You said, what's that all about, Pastor Walker? There are four episodes in Acts about getting the Holy Spirit, 2, 8, 10, and 19. And in all those four episodes, you'll see sometimes they get the Holy Spirit when they're getting saved. Sometimes it's right after they get saved. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. And you say, why? Because normatively later, it's like us. You get the Holy Spirit the moment you get saved. But back then, it wasn't always that way at the very beginning, and here's why. God was very serious about letting Samaritans and people in the other part of the earth that were not Jewish know this, that you are equal to my people who have the Holy Spirit. So I want people to see this. You're saved, you're equally saved. You get equally the Holy Spirit, and he's in you. Why? Because the unity that God brings is only possible through the power of the gospel. That's why it is absolutely necessary that we stress the fact that it's free. Free for everyone. Secondly, not only who it's free for, but what it is freed from. Can you look at verses 18 through 25 with me? The gift of God. We've said it this morning. It is not free for certain people and not for others. There's not a certain price for some and not for others because it's not for sale. It's not for sale. And what you're going to find in this passage and why Simon Magus is an important part of the text is because all throughout the book of Acts, here's what, listen to us, church, listen to this. Satan always wants to destroy the mission that God's trying to do in this world Right here in our own place in Hamilton and surrounding areas. He wants to destroy it and he wants to ruin the unity of the church that's trying to do it. Always wants that. And in book of Acts, he'll bring insiders, Ananias and Sapphira, and try to really upset things. Sometimes he brings pressure and persecution from the outside, i.e. Saul of Tarsus. And sometimes he brings people like Simon Magus who are outsiders, who look like they become insiders, and they build a little trust, and he tries to break down the unity this way. And here's Simon Magus. He's a celebrity. He's a guy that amazes people. That's the Bible word. He's a magician, not pulling rabbits out of his hat. But if you look at the anti-magic, you know, polemic of Luke, as he writes this book, he is totally against magic. Chapter 13, Illumis the Sorcerer. Chapter 19, they burned all their magical books. There's a big deal in the book of Acts about magic because magic wasn't pulling a card trick out or a rabbit out of a hat. It was demonic. It had the devil in it. And that's why Satan wants to use this guy to ruin the unity of their church and to distort the gospel. Same thing happening today in our world. 
It's demonic. It's not just happenstance. It's really, it's Satan attacking the church and the gospel. And when you first look at the two, you have Philip on one hand and you contrast him with Simon. They are so much similar. Both of them in the text says they work wonders. Both draw crowds. Both the Bible uses the word people listen to them when they talk. They both were told to have great power, Simon from the devil, Philip from the Holy Spirit. And they both, and here's the word, amazed people. So it was not just a sleight of hand thing. I mean, Simon had some abilities, and it wasn't said that he just was famous in that town. It said the nation of Samaria knew who he was. This guy was national. So there's some great power going on in there, and we all know where that power comes from. But see, let me tell you this. Simon seems to go from an outsider to the insider. And at first glance, it looks like this guy who was a magician and in the devil worship and all that kind of stuff. Here's what it says in verse number 13. He believes and he's baptized. Those are the normal words that Luke uses for conversion. But let me tell you quickly. He lays his proverbial cards on the table when it comes to the gospel. And in verse 18, here's what happens. He observes believers getting saved and Peter and John laying hands on them and they get the Holy Spirit and it's visibly noticeable that they do. And here's what Simon says, verse 18. He offered them money and said this, give me this power so that anyone I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Simon thought, listen, he thought that the gift of God The salvation of Jesus Christ manifested through the work of the Holy Spirit was for sale. And it wasn't. It wasn't. John's gospel in the end of chapter 2 says this of Jesus. That many people saw the signs that Jesus did. The miraculous supernatural things. And it says this. And they believed in him. But listen to the next two verses. It says, but Jesus did not attach himself as the word to them. He didn't put a lot of stock in it, in other words. And here's why. Because he knew what was in the heart of men. In other words, Jesus knows that there are people who at times profess to believe, profess to accept Christ, and they may even get baptized. But he knows what's really going on inside of them. See, can I tell you this morning? Simon's life is a warning to all of us. And the warning is this, not everyone who professes to believe and is baptized is a real disciple. I I believe that Simon believed that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Messiah. I think he believed all those things. But read the text for yourself. Here's what he believed. He believed Jesus and. Jesus and. For him, it was Jesus and magic. It was Jesus and the money he would get from it. It was Jesus and his notoriety and his personal platform and what he was really, his real agenda was about. It was Jesus and all of those things. So I've come across it many times in ministry. There are a lot of people who what I do, they do what I call Jesus and me conversions. See, I'll follow Jesus, they say. I'll follow him and I'll let him be an influence in my life. But when you talk seriously to them about it, they reserve the right to exempt themselves out of a few things. 
They either don't want to believe certain things or they don't want to do certain things. And I've had people say to me, hey, well, I want to follow Jesus and have him in my life, but I really don't agree with what the Bible says about marriage and divorce. I really don't believe what the Bible says about financial giving and 10% and giving to the church. I'm not, I'm, I don't believe at all what the, the Bible says about LGBTQ and homosexual marriage. I don't believe that. I don't believe what the Bible says about ethnicity and that it's, it's subjugated to being in Christ. I don't know if I believe all that. And they talk as if the Bible's some sort of book of suggestions or a bestseller on best spiritual practices. J.D. Greer, who's a pastor in the South, said this. If you're 99% committed to Jesus, you're still 100% in control. And what he means by that is this, and he explains it. Because ultimately, you decide which 99% of your life that Jesus gets. And you can change the terms or the percentages anytime you want. I think this morning it would be accurate to say this. You either have given Jesus full control of your life or you haven't given him control at all. And for some of us this morning, for you, it would be Jesus and who I date. Jesus and my sexuality. Uh, you know, for me, it's Jesus and my friends, you might say. Or Jesus and, and you name some other area of your life that you don't want him to touch. Simon was a guy who wanted Jesus in his life, but he still wanted to have control. He still wanted to have the ability to say, well, I believe this, even though the Bible says this. I still want to do this. I know I'm not supposed to marry an unsaved God, but hey. And I know it says sex before marriage or outside of marriage is wrong. I don't know if I believe that. I think that's too ancient and outdated, antiquated to be exact. And the bottom line is that Simon believed because he was amazed, it said, when he saw the work of the Holy Spirit. He was amazed. See, it was an emotional decision. And the Holy Spirit's power and salvation... See, he wanted that, but not because he wanted that power to change his life. He wanted that power so that he could change his own life in his own way. That he could still have the, now he would have the greatest magic. Now he would be a celebrity beyond his wildest dreams because Jesus and that would really fulfill everything he probably ever wanted. The Bible calls this a heart problem. In chapter 8 and verse 21, here's what is said to him. Your heart is not straight before the Lord. That terminology throughout Acts and throughout the New Testament is only used to talk about false prophets whose hearts are in the opposite, are crooked. When he says your heart's not straight, he's saying, Simon, your heart on the inside is crooked. See, on the outside, you may have believed and assented to all the things we said about Jesus, and you may have even gone through the waters of baptism, but fundamentally, Simon, you have not changed. You have not changed because inside, in your heart, where nobody else can see, you are just as crooked as you have been before. See, he even says, I want to repent, and, but you know, look at the repentance he had in the text. It was Pharaoh-like repentance. Repentance because you didn't like the consequences. 
Pharaoh only said, pray for me to Moses four or five times. You know why? Because it was right after a plague that taken place and he was in extreme pain and loss. Simon says, oh, I don't want all that curse to come on me. I don't want to be condemned and judged by God. I, I don't. But he's not concerned about what he did that was wrong, blaspheme and dishonor the Holy Spirit. You know what he's concerned about? What he's always been concerned about, self-preservation, self-advancement, because he hasn't changed. And Peter says to him this very straightforward response. You have no lot or part in this matter those little words, lot and part, always describe priests in the Old Testament who are given an inheritance. In other words, this is you share in Israel, and here's our demonstration of it. You get this plot of land. You know what Peter says to him? When outwardly you look like you might be a Christian, but inwardly your heart is crooked, he says you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. You have no plot. You are crooked, Simon, because you thought... That Jesus and was a true representation of the gospel. You thought you could buy it and you offered us money. I'd like to close our service today. If you would turn real quickly back to Isaiah chapter 55 as we close. And as we're reading this text, I would like you to think about yourself as one of these two people. Everyone in this room this morning, when it comes to your understanding of the gospel and how you can be saved and be satisfied in life and could I buy it? Is it for sale? I want you to see yourself and ask, which one of these two people am I? Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. There are two people in this text and every one of us are one of the two. The first one has no money. This person is thirsty and broke at the same time. They couldn't pay for what they needed even if they thought they wanted it because they don't have any money. They can't get what they want. They're always wanting something, but they can never really have it. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Maybe that's you this morning. Your life is dried up. I mean, Isaiah is in a context of the desert. They come thirsty, but their life is dried up. See, it hasn't rained a long time for a long time in your heart. Hopes that have turned into dust, dreams that have crumbled and completely fallen apart, dead-end streets that you keep going down thinking that you'll be satisfied, thinking that your soul's thirst could be quenched over and over and over and emptiness is all it gives to you. You're dissatisfied. And you're always thinking, there has to be more than this. But it always looks so far out of reach. You know why? No money. No money. 
no strength, no resources, no bargaining position, no track record, no power or prestige. And God knows every bit of that about your life. And here's what he says. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to a banquet you can't even comprehend. And I'm inviting you and telling you this. It doesn't matter that you have no money because it's free. It's free. But there's a second person in the text. He says to the first one, when you're thirsty and broke, come, come and buy. Listen to this. Come and buy without money. Come and buy without price. There's no tax. You can't afford it. Even if you had money, you couldn't do it, and you don't need to. Come and buy it when it's free. But there's a second one. In verse 2, he asks the question, why do you spend money? Oh, see, there's the person this morning here. See, you're not the person who's longing, longing, longing because you never can get it because you don't have anything to get it with. You're the person, see, you're thirsty, and you're not broke. You're loaded. You're loaded. See, the first person was spiritually bankrupt, and they knew it. They're thirsty and broke. But the second person's different. The first person had few, if any, options. This person has all kinds of options. I would say this person's the American. Thirsty and loaded, they're not at the end of the rope like the first person. See, but they're still, they're still searching. They're still working for it. They're still dreaming. They're still chasing. They're still searching, experimenting. And they're saying to themselves, oh yeah, I got the money. Maybe if I just got a different job. Maybe if I lived in a different city. Let's move. Maybe that, we can start over. Uh, maybe if I bought a different car. Uh, you know, the one that has that, that on. Yeah, those things. Gadget. Yeah, that. A different house. Different husband or a different wife. A different computer, a different boat, a different diet. If I trimmed down, looked better, everybody would think. But still, there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And you have all your money. And you know what Isaiah says? Why are you spending all your money on things that don't satisfy? When will you learn that it's free? It's free what you really want what you're really longing for, what you really want most, it's not for sale. It's not for sale. Everyone in this room, we're one of those two people if we don't know the Lord. We can't buy satisfaction and we could never pay for it because it's free. It's not for sale. And the reason is Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Some people, they look forward at the end of a needle, at the bottom of a bottle, in someone else's bed, in a bigger bank account. It's not there. It's not there. It won't satisfy you. All the money in the world won't buy it because the gift of God is free. Have you ever received it? Have you ever said, Jesus, you know, I know my real problem today is this. I'm a sinner, and what I need is a Savior, and Jesus is my only hope. He died on the cross and rose again on the third day so that I, would put, I could find forgiveness. See, the greatest gift is forgiveness and eternal life. 
only through Jesus Christ. You cannot buy it. It is not for sale. When will you see it? When will you receive it? Will it be today? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. Perhaps you're here this morning, you thought, oh, Pastor Walker, you know, I thought I could be right with God. I thought I could find satisfaction. And I try to be religious. I try to do the best thing I can. I try to keep all the sacraments. You know, I was baptized as a baby. And you know what? Every once in a while, I'll put a little money in the plate, you know, and I, I try to stop saying all the bad words. And Can I tell you this? Stop. Stop it. It's free. It's not about your performance. It's not about hopefully someday when you stand before God, your good works outweigh your bad. It doesn't erase this problem. You're a sinner and you fall short of the glory of God and you need a savior and Jesus is the only one. Perhaps you're here this morning, dry, empty, dissatisfied, Without money or with money, you know either way hasn't worked and it won't. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has taken the story of Simon Magnus and said, listen, it's serious. It's serious. You keep thinking you can do it. You can buy it. You can perform it. You can work it. You cannot. It's all of grace. It wasn't cheap, but it was free because it cost Jesus his life. He paid it all. He died in your place and took your sins so that you could be made right. You could be righteous and justified in his sight. And if you've never done that before, you've never come to Jesus, take my life, take control of all of it, forgive my sins and say, God, I repent. I turn my life away from me controlling to you control. I repent of all the things I know that I should not be doing and I want you to come in and change my life now now and for eternity. If that is the desire of your heart this morning, make my crooked heart straight, Lord Jesus, as only you can. With every head bowed, would you just raise your hand and I'll pray for you in a moment as we close. Just slip your hand up briefly and put it back down and I'll pray for you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Two or three there. Anyone else? Anyone? Thank you. I see your hand, young man. Anyone else? Thank you. I see you're in the balcony. Anyone else? It's free. I need to come to Jesus. He's the only hope I have. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? You're a Christian this morning and you've come to Jesus. But honestly, if you're true, humble before God, you'd have to say, Pastor Walker, I'm still living like it's not free. I'm still using, and I want my money to try to find happiness. And if I could buy this, have this, go here, do this, change this. Over and over, dead in street. I need to come back to finding my satisfaction by letting Jesus have control of all of my life as a Christian. Not Jesus and where I say this, but not this this but not this. No, all of it to him. Please, Pastor Walker, pray for me as a Christian that I will let Jesus have the control that he deserves to have in my life. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you. 
Thank you. Thank you, sir, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else? All over the altar. Thank you. Anyone else? Father, you've seen our hands. And more importantly, you see our hearts. There's no hiding anything from you. Hebrews 4 says that we are naked and open under the eyes of him of whom we will give an account. Knowing that, Father, I pray for everyone who raised their hand on either score this morning. For those who need you as their Lord and Savior and those who are Christians who need to come back to you as their perfect and ultimate satisfaction, I pray that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, may work truth into their lives to bring brokenness and repentance, humility and forgiveness that in their lives you might be glorified and 100% in control as you deserve. And we'll praise you, Lord Jesus, for what you're going to accomplish even now. In Christ's name, amen.